you know, have a totally lovely life. that's pretty stable. And I was like, well, how am I going to do something rad if I'm like happy, you know, like, am I allowed to be rad if I'm happy? And, uh, and actually it turns out you can still, you can still be rad when you're happy. (laughs) (laughs) Hi friends. That's free soloist, big wall climber, Alex Honnold, arguably the greatest athlete of our time. I'm big mountain skier, Lindsay Dyer, and this is showing up a conversation athlete to athlete with those so-called unicorns who have done the impossible. Our conversation picks up just a few weeks after Alex has hit super mega stardom, after a successful free solo on Freerider, considered the highest, most dangerous route on Al Cap. He's just come off the Jimmy Kimmel show in 60 minutes, and I'm just tired of having people ask him why he's not afraid to die, when I know as an athlete, we're seeking something else. We're seeking perfection, and we'll get into that. Beyond the climbing, and sometimes the dark motivations behind some of our greatest feats, we'll talk about things like relationships and why Alex lived in the parking lot of one of the nastiest places for as long as he did. This is an awesome conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. This is showing up. All right, let's get to the good stuff. Huh? Oh, let's do. Yeah, yeah, let's. How are you going to start off there? <laughs> I don't know. Let's. Uh, you lead the charge in your <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Not necessarily. I just think it's good conversation. Hi, Alex. How are you doing? It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. How's your trade show? My trade show is very hectic, it feels like. Yeah, you've stepped up to this whole new level. Yeah, as it turns out, it's, it's interesting. Every public thing I've done since having sent Free Rider has been outrageous yeah and yeah i just i wouldn't have thought that to make that big difference because it's like i'd already done 60 minutes i've already done like i've already done a lot of stuff in the climbing world but it's just like a different level now yeah why do you think that is is there just i mean it's pretty pivotal what you've done i don't know i mean it, but honestly i wouldn't have thought that it'd make that big a difference but um okay so talk as close as you can in the mic especially because we're sitting here at the in the pool and it, of course we have background noise but it could be worse. The next quietest places are the locker rooms. Is that creepy? Yes, it and is. And we'd it have to, and we'd have to choose which which locker room we go into. Yeah, I'd be down to go in the men's. <laughs> yeah, you can just hang in the men's locker room. You'd for probably a while. be really welcome in the women's. Well, hey. Okay, we're back. We are now sitting in the men's locker room together. <laughs> this is really getting classy. <laughs> it's not Jimmy Kimmel, but it's unique, and hopefully, you'll remember it. I I will. Uh, yeah. I think that's the best part about being a, an athlete is you. You have to be resourceful. You figure out like what your goal is and how to achieve it. And everything else is like, well, what is it going to take to get it done? I do actually think that one of the best parts about being an athlete is the weird life experiences you get, like Jimmy Kimmel or like random interviews in a locker room, like, or whatever else, just like doing different things where you feel like you experience a lot out of life. But yeah. Or living in a van. Yeah. But that's like pretty normal. I mean, for like you, the it's weird, normal. Yeah. But like, you'd be willing to go live in a van to do your thing. Yeah. And actually sure. that seems great, but for regular people, that's like a huge trade-off. Well, they just live in tiny apartments that don't move. I live in a tiny apartment that does move. Fair. It's like pretty much the same thing. Oh, I don't really want to keep <laughs> helping people think that, figure that out. <laughs> Have you noticed there's just way more vans? Yeah, van life is like a thing it? now. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Like, I know. I feel so cliche. Like, um, I last a year and a half ago, I bought like a full size van. So I'm in a Dodge Pro Master now, which is like, you, you know, really stepped like, it up. Yeah. Since size I've of seen a sprint. You. I know. I know. Well, after 10 years in the Econoline, I was like, I'm developing back problems, you know, from being mm-hmm. hunched over, having stood up straight in like a decade. Mm-hmm. But, um, which, yeah, my posture is like not great, but, um, but no, having the Pro Master is Hashtag sweet. Hashtag trouble then, of van life. Um, 
but so now at the crag i'm like man there's so many sprinters and so many pro masters and i'm just like oh everybody's rocking the van mm -hmm. like makes me makes me feel like i'm just part of the herd yeah i'm like that's cool you're just trendy yeah i know i just want to be cool <laughs> I've, I've been curious you did you stepped it up to this crazy new level and you're the same but are there things you're having to change because like you said it's taking you like a half an hour just to get anywhere now because everyone recognizes you um like are there things you've had to change is what have you done besides jimmy kimmel like uh, I, I haven't done that much honestly um i think when the full film comes out next year is probably when it'll be a really different level but I've just been doing a lot more interviews and a lot more chatting with people and just more, there's a lot more fan engagement, you know, people are just like, Oh, so stoked. And, and I, I really appreciate that, you know, because like I put a lot into free rider and it meant a lot to me. And so, I mean, it is obviously satisfying to be recognized for that. And I mean, that, that's cool. You know, I'm stoked, but I'm also like, wow, I can't believe people actually know about this. And I can't, you know, it's, it's a little surprising. It's like the coolest, most exciting thing. I think a lot of us have heard of in, in a long time about the potential of what a human is capable of, I, especially with yeah. all this. I mean, the, the world's kind of been a sad place lately and it's been so awesome to have something to be like, yeah. That's yeah. No, I mean, so for the years that I dreamt of doing it, you know, I built it up in my head to like, that would be the coolest thing ever done. Yeah. But then by the time I actually did it, I'd like worked on it to the point where it seems totally normal, totally natural. Mm -hmm. And so then I finally, finally did it. And then you're like, okay, well that's almost anticlimactic, huh? Well, no, no, no. I was so stoked. It's still pretty climactic, but I just mean that, that it seemed more natural and it no longer seems like the craziest thing ever done to me. Sure. But so then, you know, I'm getting people like doing interviews and talking to me about it. Like, oh, it's so amazing. It it's so crazy. And I'm kind of like, well... You know, I was like, I used to think that too. Now I think it's kind of normal because otherwise, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do it had I thought it was totally outrageous. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. if I thought it was like the craziest thing ever, then it would be like too intimidating to do. It'd be on a pedestal, I mean, but once yeah, you're there. Yeah, the whole point of like working on it in preparation is to sort of like take it off the pedestal and like make it normal. And then I finally actually did it. And then, I don't know, but. And to break it down into those sizable chunks that make it. Yeah, totally. Make it normal. Like it took you a year of practice, right? Yeah, and of basically. like building up to it. Mm -hmm. What do you I mean, mean it, basically? Well, so yeah, it took like years of sort of visualizing and thinking about it to sort of think it was possible. And then it took basically a year of effort, like a fall and a spring season. So, um, to so memorize say, every move. Yeah. Yeah. To memorize all the different it's sequences. Like a, and it's not like just choreography, the, right? Yeah. Kind of. And, um, and also like choosing the best sequence. I spent a lot of time swinging around, looking at different options and trying different things. And, uh, because, when the time came, I wanted to be totally committed to whatever sequence I was doing. I didn't want in the back of my mind, I didn't want to be wondering like, I, I wonder left if I right? could go to the right instead right. and like avoid this, you know? And so by the time I finally did it, I knew that I was doing exactly the best thing and I knew exactly how to do it. And it was all pretty, pretty perfect. Mm -hmm. But that's also what made the experience like so amazing for me is, um, I had put all that work into it. So it was like really, really fun when I finally did it. Would you have called it flow? Oh yeah, for sure. How many hours of straight flow? You think that well, is? I mean, I was climbing for four hours, um, and I don't know if it was like 100% in the zone the whole time, you know, just because some of the easy terrain, you can sort of think about other things and relax, but it's pretty close. I mean, it's basically four hours of like perfection. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's so nourishing. Huh? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. I'm yeah. like still stoked. I'm still smiling. Like, you know, anytime I think about it, I'm just like, that's pretty awesome. I kind of think for the rest of my life, I'll be able to think about it and just be like, that is awesome. Like I'm mm -hmm. pretty excited about it. I feel like you've been asked all these questions about the death part and like, how could you do that? But what people don't see. Yeah. The life part. They yeah. Don't see like, how does that nourish you? How does that like make your life better? Well, no, but like they don't see the, the payoff where the payoff is mm -hmm. and the payoff is in that flow, like in that. Yeah, exactly. And one, just being able to think about something that makes me 
profoundly happy for the rest of my life, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like to have done something that, yeah, I mean, every time we start to talk about it, I start to smile again. I'm like, yeah, oh, that's he's so just nice. glowing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm pretty delighted. It's like he's in love. That, that, <laughs> yeah, look. totally, totally. It is very similar to like, oh, she's just so pretty and I'm so excited <laughs> about it. You know, it's like, yeah, the same sort of just like so psyched. It's almost too but, like, I don't know you super well, but like a lot of athletes have this like angst where it's like the only thing that can satisfy it is getting out there and, and getting amongst it. And it almost feels like you're kind of like, you've got this satisfaction of like, I mean, I've, I've joked about that in the past that, um, you know, like I have a deep black hole where my heart's supposed to be and I just keep shoveling achievement into it, hoping that it'll fill the hole and it just doesn't, you know, it's like kind of a joke, but that is sort of the, the athlete performance type of thing where you're like, I just hate myself so much, but if I could send <laughs> no, harder, maybe I wouldn't. you've never been like that though. Well, but I mean, but a little but bit. But a lot I mean, of I've, people. Well, I mean, certainly a lot of people are. And, and I have, I've had a little bit of that where you're just like, I just wish I could send harder and then, then I would be cool enough or then I'd be then good I'd be enough. Happy, or like, yeah, exactly. Satisfied. Yeah. You're like trying to fill some kind of hole, like with the achievement i don't know in this case well I, I don't know maybe like all i know is this time i filled my hole put it that way you know like so you admit you stoked. had a hole i mean maybe i mean everybody has something driving them you know and like mm-hmm. yeah i do yeah, feel I like a lot of athletes don't admit it but there is there's something well I, i've certainly had a bunch of climbs that were like driven by angst or just general darkness um f- this one probably was less so you know like my life is great things are good and in some ways actually i kind of worried that i wouldn't be able to do something big like this because you know my life's on the up and up i have a really good girlfriend right now like um i bought a home this season you know i have a totally lovely life that's pretty stable and i was like well how am i going to do something rad if i'm like happy you know like am i allowed to be rad if i'm happy yeah and uh, and actually it turns out you can still you can still be rad when you're happy well i'm curious like what are some of those like i think most people just assume that life is always great and everything's so easy so what are some Let's of those talk examples about angst soloing. yeah and like and I love like angst soloing, yeah and i think a lot of people in your arena are in that boat but don't necessarily talk about it I think it's yeah. easier once you're past it to talk about it. Like, so when have you come from a dark place and what, what was the motivation? Well, I mean, certainly when I was younger, there was just a lot more angst because it's like, oh, I wish I could get laid. I wish I, you know, Fit had a in. better van. Yeah, I wish I was cooler, like felt more calm. I wish I wasn't so freaking gripped anytime I went into a public space. You know, you know what I mean? There's just a lot more like insecurity and like darkness in life so certainly some of my first solos is just like oh maybe if i do something rad then maybe i'll get laid you know it's like a lot more like i just want friends yeah you know yeah um but then i've also had a handful of solos where like uh i was sort of on and off with my ex-girlfriend of several years and so during some of the off periods i would just be like you know she'd be hanging out with some other guy for a while and i'd be like oh i just so just need to do something rad, mm-hmm. you know, to remember um, who you are. And yeah. You know, or just to like feel good about yeah, yourself, you know, to yeah. like get some confidence or who knows what. But so I like onsite solo a couple of roots in Zion that way. Um, one of them, like in a snowstorm, it was all like pretty full on. Um, but it sort of fit the, fit the mood well. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, I mean, even when I'm ang soloing, I'm never like just roll, like, don't care if I live or die, just roll the dice. Don't give a shit. I'm always sort of like, I know I'm being stupid. I know this is angstful. But I sort of harness it anyway because it's like when you do feel that angst, it's kind of a unique opportunity in a way to do something that you've always wanted to do. Because mm-hmm. like all the solos that I've done have always been things that I've thought of for years or like wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, I'm in the right mood. Let's like harness that and like use it. That's you cool. Know? You're so aware. And like, yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, no matter how angstful I might be, I'm never just like, fuck it. I'm going to kill myself. You know what I mean? Like, that's just. No, you wouldn't have been. You'd be gone already probably. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah probably. Um 
anyway, I, I think that stuff is fun. Like, I mean, I like the angstling, like the whole roller coaster. Like sometimes you do things because you're super happy. Sometimes you do things because you're super sad, but either way you're doing things that you've always wanted to do. Yeah. And, and so all those emotions can be tools. They're yeah, not, exactly. all, they're not necessarily negative. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, though they're uncomfortable to feel, it's cool to be able to channel them. Yeah. No, th- that's, yeah. I feel like all, yeah, all the emotional states should just like be harnessed towards your end, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, so take me back through, people want to hear probably, you know, how did you grow up? Um, and yeah, you were kind of a loner and like, how has that actually been a benefit? Even though at a time you probably felt like, you know, I don't know if, I, I don't know if a loner, but just like a loser, you know, cause like a loner, like <laughs> implies that you want to be alone. Maybe a loser okay. is just like, you just don't have any friends. No, I don't know. I was like kind of dorky, kind of like misfitty sort of. You read a lot. Um, yeah. Like I mean, I, I, I was in like a good program in school and I was like, you know, a good student and, um, you know, I was like a smart kid, but, um, but just such a, such a loser, you know, you think so, a loser, no one would call you a loser. No, actually, I mean, to be fair, probably most kids sort of feel like losers when they're kids anyway. I bet, I bet half my peers in high school, like kind of felt the same way where they're like, I just don't fit in and everybody thinks I suck, you know? So maybe it's just me, you know, maybe everybody. I mean, would you call it social awkwardness more? Yeah. I was like, You're so a loser. Bad. well, just like I didn't do any school sports stuff i didn't like go to any of the dances i basically had nothing to do with school why um because i was just too dorky you know because i felt deeply uncomfortable with social stuff and like really uncool but then also partially because i'd already found climbing so i was spending like five days a week at the climbing gym mm-hmm. so you know i never like went out for track but or you something. could do that alone yeah exactly i was like i had my old a freaking uh, Walkman or whatever, you know, big old Walkman deal in my like baggy cargo pant pockets, like with big headphones, like listening to freaking Megadeth while I traverse the gym for three hours as like a 15 year old. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was sort of the path I was on. It was mm-hmm. like pretty bad. No. <laughs> well, not it's bad, but relative. like pretty dorky though, you know, just like I'm just an angstful kid that wants to listen to some hate rock and traverse in the gym nonstop. I think a lot of people but. can relate to that. <laughs> Certainly skiers and it's like that place where you do find acceptance and, and you can channel all these uncomfortable emotions and yeah especially guys like i think anger too can be really powerful and it feels powerful and it you know helps yeah, you, you just want to rage like, because otherwise you'd yeah. be really sad and that's way harder to face yeah so profound um i know your mom was played a big role in your life too like well what, really actually my dad played a much bigger role in, in climbing when i was young so my dad was like fully actively supporting my climbing, like taking me into the gym and everything. And then mom and dad got divorced when I was uh, 18. And then I went to college for one year and dropped out and whatever. But so my dad died after my first year of college. Oh. And then and then I was sort of using mom's house as a base and have used her house for a base for like 10 years. And so she was sort of supportive in that period as I like transitioned into being like a homeless, you know, and then eventually a professional climber. Um, was she more the academic side too? No, both my parents were professors. Okay. They're both like both full, of them. Yeah, like language teachers. So that's how you got so smart. I don't know. It didn't really work, but <laughs> um, but so you know, dad was really supportive of like the first ten years of my climbing, but then he unfortunately died, and then mom's been pretty supportive since then. But like for the first ten years, she didn't know anything about rock climbing like at all. She never came to the gym. She like didn't know how the grades work, and even still, she like doesn't totally understand all the terms and like how the grades work and stuff. But though she started climbing a few years ago, and so now she's like much more with it. And like, because I, rem- I was at Yosemite more. when you were taking your mom up. Oh yeah, do you remember what we were doing? It was like you were taking her up half dome. Oh, Snake Dyke. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She and a friend. That was like, 
Yeah, that's a big day for yeah, her. It's like a big adventure. It's a big day for you too. You yeah, had to do this yeah. major thing and then come do it again. Oh yeah, were you up on top shooting that? Yeah, day? Exactly. oh totally. I remember. Yeah, that was that yeah. was the uh, the National Geographic shoot. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> that's <is> awesome. <laughs> yeah, you're like, okay, guys, I gotta go help my mom now. Yeah. No, After no, like well, no, well, no we uh, we climbed the route, and then she and her friend hiked down by themselves, and I stayed on top to do the shoot with you guys. Right, it was, you were it was already mega. exhausted. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, you know, it's all um, relative. Yeah, it's pretty funny. But so, yeah, now now, you know, mom understands climbing better and like does these cool adventures with me, and uh, you know, we have more of a good time. Like, but, did did your dad's passing affect you? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, like, of course, of course, it affected me, but in what way? Um, I haven't gotten the balls to ask like really hard questions yet. So oh, yeah, you just, just dive in. You just got to really, like, I, I, I still, it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I don't want to push anybody being too a journalist hard. Is you just put, like, yeah, well, if I'm you just don't get beginning. someone to cry on the podcast, then you haven't done your job. If they've been crying like on their own. Wait, really? A little bit. So if <laughs> you could you cry, that'd with? make it really. No one has ever, I've never cried in an interview. I don't want to make I don't think cry. it'll be the first. <laughs> <laughs> I think sitting in the men's locker room at the Marriott is not the place that I'm going to like burst into tears no, in an interview. I, I'm not putting you in such a comfortable <laughs> position. You just, you feel comfortable being vulnerable. I'm like, I just feel so alone <laughs> in the locker room. Except um, you're glowing. Yeah, I'm still like thinking about free I don't want to make you cry. Time. No. I but th- I think if you talked about a time when you did cry and what you learned from it, that would actually help people. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was another time you were angsty because of girl problems, girl issues. In, in the valley? Or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder when that was. Well, it was the same girl at the time. It was still my ex-girlfriend. We like got, we, we freaking were on and off so much. There was like plenty of angst throughout the full like five years that, you know, ons and offs. And now it's been but, fuel in some ways. You've used it as fuel. Yeah, no, it was all, I mean, and I certainly um, grew a lot throughout that relationship and, you know, we'll see. I don't know, now, like, I've been with my current girlfriend for a year and a half and it's all been, like, rock solid, super nice, really good, good, good scene. I'm just like, oh, I owe so much to my ex-girlfriend for learning how to communicate better and, you know, like, like being a better person and all that type of stuff. That's awesome. But I feel bad for her that she had to work through freaking so many years of practice, <laughs> but oh well. We all, in some yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, that hits close to home. <laughs> no, not necessarily, but I think that, like, it's true. Sometimes you help somebody grow, and some the next person gets the benefit yeah. of that, And but then maybe it comes around. I really do. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that. you're the coach, and sometimes you're being coached, you yeah. know? It's yeah. like you just never quite know until until yeah. later, and you get to look at it from in the rearview mirror. Totally. But, anyway. Okay, so you're, like, let's take you on life trajectory. So you're, like, 18 your dad just passed did you go to college yeah so I did one year of college and then after my first year um my dad died but so that summer I'd also qualified for youth nationals like overseas it's like the youth world cup or something is that all inside still yeah that's still a competition climbing indoors but so I sort of decided that I was going to take a semester off college and like go do this youth comp in Europe and then like travel Europe a little bit and climb and then uh, I basically just never went back to college after that. I took, you know, my one semester off has now turned into uh, like 22 semesters off or something. Yeah. What do you um, think about competition? Um, I, I wasn't that good at it, and it, but it was just sort of a vehicle to like go climb in different places. Um, I never like cared. Though, I mean, I probably would have cared more about it if I'd been better at it. You know, I just like wasn't a great competition climber. I'm just like not that good at climbing in the gym. And so just... You know, but I enjoyed it. I mean, it's good to travel and climb. What's so. the difference? The main difference in your head about climbing inside versus climbing outside? Well, th- th- there's just such a stylistic difference. I mean, it's like a totally climbing in the gym is 
you know, say 20 to 30 moves of difficult climbing nonstop climbing outdoors. You can be climbing for hours potentially, um, with, with rests and hard sections and then more rest. And it's more of like a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so but like, you've got all the elements too, that you have to account for that are changing as yeah. we're in a gym. That's yeah. But it's more like the physiological, like how hard you can climb. It's just, it's like a running a sprint versus a marathon versus or something. Marathon, and sure. I'm like by nature, more of a marathoner than a sprinter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I've just never been that great at gym climbing. Though I really love it. I mean, I'm going to go to the gym in a couple hours here and Mm -hmm. like, I love climbing the gym. I'm just like, not that good. Do you feel like some of those times like lonely and angsty as a young guy have helped you what you've been doing now to stay in good headspace or? Well, I think part of the being lonely and angsty as a young person climbing in the gym, I was always by myself and I was doing volume. I was always doing like tons and tons of climbing, like hours of climbing. Um, and that certainly has, I mean, that's sort of still what I'm doing in climbing is high volume, you know, like doing something like soloing all cap. I mean, that's like four hours of continuous climbing, Mm -hmm. which is like fundamentally different than doing like a hard sport climb, like doing the hardest sport climbs in the world takes like 10 minutes, maybe, but 10 minutes of like really, really difficult focus. Yeah. Like really intense activity. I'm more of the like four hours of like moderate activity, you know, just like kind of casual. Yeah. And now you're kind of getting into, what do you think of alpine climbing? Oh, no, I wouldn't say I'm getting into alpine climbing. I would say We've I occasionally... We've done more. I've been curious, though. Like, I tend to do maybe one trip a year of like mm-hmm. alpine what expedition. What do you think? Do you like it, or is it just... Ugh. I like I like seeing beautiful places. I will say that going to the big mountains, I mean, they are some of the most beautiful places on Earth. But, but mostly, so I think high, that... so uh, uncomfortable, so cold. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> it's, like, terrible. Yeah. But, um, but I think that it puts sport climbing back into perspective. It makes me appreciate the rest of my year. You know, if I do one trip a year where I'm like, this is heinous, they're like avalanches and snow and crevasses and I'm cold and the climbing sucks. Then the whole rest of the year, I'm just like, I love sport climbing, you know, like just keeps it all like nicely balanced. Um, And and I do like seeing, you know, new places like that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's the evolution, like watching your, the people you look up to, or do you feel like you'll have a different evolution? I don't think I'll ever be an alpine climber. I don't think I'm like transitioning into the alpine. I think it's more that I feel a certain obligation to go do a trip or two a year like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it'll ever be my thing. I just don't like the snow, you know? Yeah, I get it. Unless I don't like I'm skiing being... groomers and then I'm like pretty delighted. But you like going fast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I do love, I like skiing. But <laughs> even that though, I'm like a terrible skier, but it's just super fun. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, okay, you've been doing all these competitions. Where from there? Um, so then... I basically dropped out of college and then I like stole my mom's minivan and then I started road tripping. But at the time, like the climbing culture was a slightly different thing. And like, I wasn't part of a big climbing community. I like, I didn't even know what it meant to like go on the road. So I was basically just sort of like haunting California, like the East side of the Sierra, Joshua tree, like all the places that were semi-local. I don't think I quite had the boldness to just like drive to the East coast or something. And so basically I hung around California and sort of the West coast for a couple of years, just like living in the minivan, climbing as much as I could. And Were you just, still spending a lot of time alone? Uh, yeah, I was doing a lot of soloing then for sure. Were but that's you, cause I was like afraid to talk to strangers and didn't know anybody to get belays and stuff and didn't have much of a community. Mm-hmm. It's like nowadays, if I'd go to any city in California, I can sort of like text somebody who's at least like a casual acquaintance or a friend, like, you know, get hooked up with like somebody local who will like take me to the good crags and show me the nice routes. You know, now it's like, I have such a big network that I can like go wherever and be totally cool. But back then I was like afraid to talk to anybody. So there's no way to like start building a network. And you're just kind of like, Oh, I just, I'm going to climb by myself. Cause I'm too afraid. It's like, but you were reading a lot. Like, I'm curious how the, your, the books were changing or affecting how you were thinking or, 
I don't know. The, my reading has always kind of been as an aside, I feel like. Um, like when I was first starting to climb more outside, um, I went on this whole atheist kick for a while where I read a bunch of books about human evolution and, and spirituality and religion. And it was like all kinds of, you know, like where did man come from and why do people believe in God and all that type of stuff. And that's like obviously completely separate from my climbing, you know, but it was just sort of like what I was interested in at the time. Mm-hmm. And now for the last bunch of years, I've been reading just like environmental nonfiction, like reading about climate change or oil or, or a lot of books about poverty and, and things like that now. But yeah, again, it has nothing to do with my climbing. It's just like... Right. I'm just curious how, how those things kind of broadened your horizons or became your companions. Yeah, yeah. At my, that my, time of life. <laughs> my sad, lonely companions, yeah. Um, no, you were building yourself in a different way. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, that's like the most optimistic way to look at it. Be like, I was building up. It's more like, oh, I just had tons of empty time. I may as well like fill it trying to learn something. Yeah, exactly. But, I think yeah. that's great. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I mean, it's true. If more people filled their empty time with learning, the world would probably be a better place. There's a reason why I haven't asked a lot of athletes on this. And there's a reason um, why I asked you. And it's because you have something to say because you're not just a one dimensional. Well, I don't know. I just do it. Like I just, I just shred. (laughs) Like I, I truly Uh, believe you have your, uh, well, I know how smart you are. uh, I mean, I think that's probably one of the reasons why you like doing this is because it's something that actually challenges your brain. Yeah, I, I yeah, I d- I do like that aspect of climbing for sure. There's the problem solving, the and just yeah, the like working towards something complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was studying engineering for the year in school, and I sort of love like that puzzle mentality right. or like figuring out Putting a problem stuff together. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite parts of the soloing process is like rappelling in on something and then spending like an unlimited amount of time by myself hanging in space, just like touching holds and trying to like find the most secure way to do something. You're like doing geometry like, and chem- I mean, physics in your head. Yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, it just you're just climbing, but yeah, the, you are sort of. I don't know. Just it's a mental challenge. As- I like looking at a blank piece of rock and being like somewhere hidden amongst these holds is perfection and I just have to find it. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's some way to like climb through the sequence that will feel good that I'll be able to do and that I'll be able to like feel so good about that I'm comfortable doing it without a rope and like to, to find that is always like sort of sort of magical. Ding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've been grumpy like looking at all these interviews you've been doing and everybody just asks you the same thing and I'm like you don't yeah, get it. So it's not about fear, overcoming fear. It's about, it's about like finding, finding perfection. perfection. Yeah, totally. And like, but like, you know, Jimmy Kimmel, like brick, I mean, yeah. he's, he's too busy interviewing 50 cent to like worry about finding perfection on a piece of stone. You know, I mean, that's pretty like subtle. Yeah. But, and it definitely doesn't cater to like late night TV laughs. You know? Right. But and the general public doesn't understand. So they have to ask those kind of questions, but that's why I was like to get in here. Yeah, no, totally. As from an athlete perspective, like, oh yeah, you, you are lit up for months and months off of that. Look at him, he's smiling yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> I know, you need like, you need one still image ding. to go with the interview of like, ding, yeah, mm-hmm. so stoked. Mm-hmm. I'll have to catch yeah. it soon before it wears <laughs> yeah. off. I don't know, it hasn't really worn off. Like as soon as I finished, I was so happy for a couple of days and mm-hmm. now anytime I start to think about it, I've been uh, writing a bunch about El Cap because I'm adding a chapter to my book is like to a, whatever, a revised edition of, of mm-hmm. my book. You know, even just writing about it, I'm just like sitting by myself, totally delighted, big smile. It's mm-hmm. like pretty funny. Yeah. But anyway. Okay, so um, trajectory. You're in your mom's minivan for a couple of years. Yeah. Just climbing on your own. And then, uh, and then eventually, I bought a bigger van. What did they call you? They called you the monk. Some folks in the UK called me that on a trip in 2008 or something. But that was actually because I didn't drink and didn't do alcohol, uh, didn't drink coffee and stuff, and didn't party, and mm-hmm. it was all super boring. And I had like a hideous bull haircut, you know, it's like all very monkly. Yeah. I mean, I've always been pretty clean living and then just like really focused on climbing. 
Yeah. Okay. So you're you're in your mom's minivan, and like, what's the next pivotal? I don't know. Well, actually, so the next probably pivotal thing was that the minivan died, and I wound up eventually buying like the Ford Econoline like panel van style thing. Mm-hmm. That your I first lived home. In. Yeah, which I lived in for basically ten years, and um, and that was really like the iconic. Now I'm like a van dwelling, you know, professional climber. I started around that same time. I started to pick up a few sponsors. Were like, you know, getting some free ropes. A couple of sponsors were paying me like a hundred bucks a month, you know, and I was like, I'm getting paid mm-hmm. cash money to go climbing, you know, mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, actually one of them is still basically paying me a hundred bucks a month, but I was just <laughs> like, you know, that's whatever I understand, you know, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of budget, but, um, and, uh, yeah. And then I just, I mean, that's basically been, do you have any cool stories from that time of life with like bears or anything, any, any Yosemite life living like, uh, Rangers or. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. It was all just so much scrappier, you know, like that was the time in my life when I was totally happy to like live in the Walmart parking lot for a month and eat like 88 cent pasta with like, you know, 59 cent pasta sauce. And now I'm just like, Oh, it like makes me kind of sick to even think about supporting Walmart as a corporation or like buying any of those products. Cause it's all like terrible for the environment, terrible for me. But like at the time I was just like, I'm doing it, you know, like I'm a climber. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of guys like, probably oh, go through that. So gross, you know, look at how but, evolved um, you become. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, though, I mean, so much of that is just like, oh, as I have more income, I spend it on things that I care about more. It's like, you know, buying better food and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, now I'm like, oh, I would never though. Actually in a lot of ways, that's also just like learning more about how the world works, you know? Cause at the time I like didn't know that the Walmart corporation is like one of the worst things on the planet. Yeah. You're just trying you know? to get by on yeah, totally. cheaply as possible yeah, and just do like, what you well, love. The parking lot's not patrolled and I can use the bathroom every morning. I love this place. I'm going to live here. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just like, I don't know Well, I'd still, I'd still park in their lot and I'd still take a dump in their, in their store every morning. But otherwise I'm definitely not, <laughs> not using their facilities. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you're start, you're starting to pick up some sponsors, and then, you know, when does it come into your head to do the first big solo? Or have you already been soloing at that I'd time? I've already done a couple. Well, I'd already been doing a ton of solos, like tons and tons of volume, like easy soloing, mm-hmm. like shitloads of it. Was that like because you looked up at some of your role models, and I know those guys were the ones that. You yeah, had. I mean, like Peter Croft, John mm-hmm. Backer. Like, there's a whole history of soloing in California. And you just so thought that I was always rad. thought that was cool. And even before I'd done the whole van life thing, before I even dropped out of school, I'd done a bit of soloing in my gym. Um, there was like this crazy dude who worked at my climbing gym when I was a kid who was like sort of a Dan Osmond protege. He was like way into rope jumping when that was kind of a thing. And then ironically, what's he actually, rope jumping? Um, like before base jumping was a thing, people were rope jumping where they tie like, you know, six ropes together and jump for like a thousand feet off the top of a cliff. And, um, that's how Dan Osmond died. He was like a professional climber, sort of like legendary figure from the nineties. But, um, he died in, in a rope jumping accident. Basically his rope broke for, is it kind of like bungee jumping? Yeah. 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 yeah, Bungee jumping with climbing ropes. Gotcha. Um, but so, and then, so this guy who was like way into this dude that worked at my gym, I think his name was Kirk. He actually died in an accident at the Auburn Quarry rope jumping, same same sort of deal as Dan Osmond. Mm-hmm. Um, but so he, after hours, he would like solo the roots in the gym and like rig these rope jumps and like do these crazy, you know, 40 foot swinging things through the arch at the gym. And I was just like, that's so rad. You know, mm-hmm. it was kind of a different culture of climbing, like a little bit less safety and like insurance concerns, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like nowadays you go to the gym and it's much more like, have you signed the waiver? Like, mm-hmm. have you passed the classes? Mm-hmm. But, you know, like 20 years ago, going to the gym was a little bit more like, we're going climbing and it's like rad. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but so I was already soloing. Um, but then by 2007, when I started picking up sponsors and things, then that's sort of when I started soloing like harder things that got noticed, I guess. And what was it about that? Like as, even looking up at your role models, was it 
was it just it looked cool or it had that more aspect of danger like what was it about it that i just you, always thought it was rad you just thought you know, it was rad. Just like it, yeah it's like the so pinnacle the experience it, yeah totally i mean the, like it's clean it's beautiful yeah, exactly the aesthetics i mean it's just like a tiny dot on a big wall you're just like that is so outrageous you know it's mm-hmm. like the same idea like yeah like solo rowing across the ocean or like mm-hmm. any kind of outrageous Most you're just simplified. like yeah you're just like that's mm-hmm. so elemental you know it's just like a man on a rock you're like that is that is pure i mean it's kind of the same as like seeing a picture of a skier like shredding some huge line in alaska where you're like it's a tiny dot on a huge huge mountain and you're just like holy shit you know right just and one just track like, yeah exactly and you're just navigating like outrageous terrain you know except the skiing is done in like a minute and a half whereas climbing is like four hours later you're like halfway up the wall right but yeah i wonder about uh, that a lot like i can focus well maybe for like yeah. 30 seconds yeah totally and i can get so much joy out of that but i can't imagine what four hours though i'm sort of the at the opposite end of the spectrum because i'm like oh i can i can sort of manage the several hours of like being concentrating on something but like the really intense like minute and a half to me is like uncomfortable like i don't really like the intensity i've always loved the like long slow like breathing yeah, like, and the flow of the, it yeah the comfortable like controlled you know like when when i think of i mean you know i think of skiing as like an adrenaline sport type like things that are really fast with really fast decision making where it's all just like pretty hardcore but it's I'm not like, right it all slows down i mean to in some to us, it's it doesn't. When you're really in it, it doesn't feel fast. It feels Maybe, slow but and just focused. The whole deal focused. is still like a minute and a half long, you know. Sure. Or, or mm-hmm. actually, how long does it take to ski a huge? Yeah, line? yeah, like a minute and a half for sure. Yeah, that would be the like, longest one. That's outrageous, one. you know. That's like so fast. But I'm imagining you're feeling that for four hours straight. But that's the thing is the intensity is ramped down. You know, I feel like skiing a big line is probably at like set to 11. You're just like, this is intense. But like climbing, even on the hardest, hardest climbing, you're set to like six. You know, like it never goes to a See, but I would disagree. Like some of the best things I've ever done, I've still felt like I was at a six, even though it might look like. Well, yeah, well, that's that. probably because you're actually good at it. You know, I mean, that's probably true of any sport. And that's, like, when I you think, get what people are it, looking yeah. at you. Like people yeah. are like, that's the craziest thing you've ever yeah, done. No, but totally, you're like, well, totally. no, not really after all this preparation. Yeah, and I mean, all this the, like with Freerider, for the majority of it, I was probably set to like a four, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. then like for the crux, the hardest moves on the boulder problem, which is only like 15 feet of climbing, um, I was probably set to like a seven or something. But like, definitely never turned up to 11, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I get it. And that's like what people don't quite understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and because when that, that's it's all interesting they see. hear you say that. Cause I assume that like the fast sports, like wingsuiting or something, I'm like, that must be at like at least 10, you know, <laughs> like it's gotta be close to 11, Mm-mm. but I don't know people, well, proximity flying and stuff like people surely are like pretty amped up. Yeah. But I feel like if but. we asked any of those guys right now, they wouldn't, it, it, I think it's the perception is that, but when you've put that much time in and when you've, you've gone over it in your head a thousand times, it isn't. Mm. And that's when you perform your best, when you're in that relaxed flow, breath work, you know, it's clean and clear and just, oh, heaven. Yeah, if we're both like, ah, <laughs> so beautiful, so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, it's so nourishing um, yeah. that you can live off that high for a long time, but it does go away and then it's like, and then you're like, I need again. my fix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I wonder about that stuff. How much of it though is about getting the fix? Cause like with free rider, I'm definitely not like seeking out my next fix. You know, I'm sort of like, I will feel good about that for the rest of my life. And not to say that I'll never do any other hard soloing. Cause I mean, maybe I'll get inspired by something, but, um, but I'm going to be pretty satisfied you know, forever. Like, I just think I'm so stoked. Yeah, I know. And you will. I found it with art too. There's other ways to find it yeah. where you create perfection. Like, uh, as an example, I've, I was once designing a line of, line of cards and 
t-shirts and, and I had just been creating crap for like literally 36 <laughs> hours and I was so frustrated and I was like, ah, I hate all of this. And then when I finally got tired enough, it was like three in the morning on the third day, I had something just let go and, and then the Girafficorn came out in like 30 seconds, um, which is the, my nonprofit. Um, oh, cool. Hey, you've probably seen it. The unicorn giraffe. Come on. I don't know if I've seen the, yeah, the giraffe corn. Yeah, I? you have. You got to show me after. You've seen it. Um, right. It's literally, it's very simple. It's a giraffe with, with a unicorn. unicorn. <laughs> and, and it makes people so happy. And when that came through, it gave me so that same joy yeah, for like four days. I was like, high yeah. on like this thing that somehow came through me and uh, huh. it made me so happy. And then watching how it made other people happy. Anyways. That's beside yeah, this, the point. But my point is like moments of genius and they come I mean, not just in sport is all I'm saying. Like, yeah, for um, sure. For sure. There's other ways to get that kick. Um, so anyways, moving on. So take us back through like, where are we on life trajectory? Life trajectory. I'm now, you know, a, a very unprofessional climber, you know, scrappy dirtbag, punk kids, still sort of angstful, still like really sort yeah. of hungry with the big guys are starting to know your name like <laughs> yeah yeah totally you're starting to threaten them and well or not not well, actually maybe somebody like uh like dean potter you know oh, i remember probably starting to be like slightly there. concerned uh -huh, yeah uh-huh yeah totally. was he someone you looked up to um i sort of looked up to dean actually so i probably looked up to dean a lot when i was a teenager and then as i started to get closer to him um in terms of of climbing ability and also just like physically you know like more in his space like climbing in the valley and stuff then I sort of started to be like more overtly competitive maybe. Yeah. It's sort of one of those things where like when, you, when someone seems like a God, like way up above you on a pedestal, you're just like, that guy's the man. But then when you get pretty close to him and he's like super famous and you're just some punk kid, you're kind of mm -hmm. like, Oh, I'm way better than that guy. Like F mm -hmm. that guy. Mm -hmm. And then once you're sort of like on the same level, then it's just like, Oh, that's cool. Mutual like, respect. you know, yeah. It's kind of too bad because actually like right before Dean died, um, I guess that's two years ago now, or was that last year? I feel year? like it was longer. No, no, it was maybe last year. No, it wasn't. I maybe think it was, it was at least then. two years ago. I don't know. But um, anyway. Or maybe it was last I think, year. I think it was last year because I think Dean, or I think Stanley was two years ago. Yep, yep, um, yep. So crazy, but um but basically the, like over the year before dean died we were starting to be more like friends again because we were sort of like both on our own place we were both happy with our lives we both had like good relationships it's all like mm -hmm. you know life was good and i think he could finally just like well and both of us could just kind of accept that we're just like normal dudes going through our life the best we can you know there was no more like overt competition or anything mm -hmm. But like for the couple of years before that, you know, I kind of had something to prove and mm -hmm. he was still trying to like hold on to something yeah. and you're just like, you know, it's like a, it's more difficult to be like friendly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I remember. But, and you were coming yeah. at it from such different. Yeah. We have like completely different personalities. So mm -hmm. like our whole approach to climbing was, was fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. but anyway, unfortunately Dean was too into dangerous sports. <laughs> you're one to talk. Well, on. no, wingsuiting, though, is way more dangerous than, than climbing. I mean, if nothing else, the numbers pan out. You know what I mean? Like, when you look at people, like, hardly anybody dies soloing. Everybody dies wingsuiting. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, it's but crazy. But how many people are soloing, like, at the same level you are? Or uh, Well, in a way, it doesn't really matter about the level. You know what I mean? Because yeah. the thing with wingsuiting, you don't have to be an elite wingsuiter. They all die. You know, the elite ones die. The, the beginner ones die. Like, everybody mm -hmm. dies wingsuiting. Mm -hmm. It's, like, outrageous. Yeah, like, last year, true. there were, like, 30-something deaths wingsuiting. Yeah, I was actually starting to learn, and then I looked at those statistics, and I was It's like, crazy. Yeah, and if and before that, they everybody has either broken both their femurs at the same time or their back, like... And when I started seeing that, literally everyone, I was like, I, yeah, I no, can't, I mean, I'm not willing it's to like go there, there. I don't know if you can think of any other sports where there's 
like the same sort of rate of accidents for rank beginners as there are for the most veteran, you know, the most proficient, Mm -hmm. like it's not as if as you get better, it gets safer. It's like the rate of accidents is like the same across the board. It seems like it's totally crazy. Yeah. But yeah, with soloing, I mean, there's so many people who like go soloing after work, like climbing easy five sixes, easy five sevens, Mm, you know, like in Yosemite, there are people that just like go cruise in the evenings. And like, it's not like you hear about people dying soloing. Right. Hardly ever. I mean, it happens of course, but, um, but it's definitely not common. And I liked it. My favorite statistic is that nobody's ever died free soloing anything like at an elite level. You know, like no one's ever died doing a cutting edge solo. Mm-hmm. Like a couple cutting edge soloists, like individuals have died, but it's always been on super easy terrain. Mm-hmm. And like for potentially unknown accidents, you know, like maybe health stuff, maybe weather, like it's just, it's like unclear, like how or why they fell off of easy terrain, but no one's ever fallen off like elite terrain. We've had that know? in the Tetons a lot where nobody knows. And I, I always wondered if uh, like it was a bee sting. Yeah, or, or have I mean, you have you ever had that? Like, I know you've encountered animals and stuff, but mm, I've I've been stung by a bee while I was roped up. Um, I was like super annoyed, uh, but no, I've never had like an actual animal attack. But yeah, I've like seen scorpions and like had like mice climb onto my hand and stuff like that, like all mm-hmm. kinds of craziness. And you just account but, for that. I can also yeah. understand that too. Like, I feel like as a skier, no one ever gets hurt doing the gnarliest thing. They get hurt in the parking lot, slipping on the ice, you know, yeah. like Actually, the gnarliest thing. Actually, a friend of mine is towards ACL tipping over on his skis. Exactly. <laughs> he, was like, he was like turning around to chat with his girlfriend and like fell over exactly. and ACL. And you're just like, oh, that sucks. Mm-hmm. But, but you're right about the base jumping stuff is different. Yeah, the base jumping is like, well, the other way I like to explain that stuff is that with free soloing, you only die if everything goes wrong. But with base jumping, you're going to die unless everything goes right. You know what I mean? Like everything mm-hmm. has to work perfectly or else you're going to die. Yeah. It's like, you know, with soloing, like a lot of things can go wrong and you could still not fall off. You know, like it all has to go like terribly wrong and then you'll die. Yeah. But I can see why they love it. Like that's the ultimate perfection. We've always wanted to fly. And I don't know. I don't want to fly. You I don't? Like I want to like cling to shit. Oh my God. I want to fly. The reason I was starting to get into it was like that, that little moment of free fall. Oh my God. It's heaven. I don't know. I, I learned how to uh, skydive, like, in the thought that I'd get into base jumping, so I did my AFF. And I didn't actually love the whole process. I didn't, like, like skydiving. And I was just like, I don't like this enough to learn. You Is know? it, like, lack of control, you think? Um, no, like, it was kind of the, the nitty-gritty, the basics. Like, so I get vaguely motion sick. I hated being in the oh. plane all the time. And mm-hmm. I hate the smell of diesel. And it mm-hmm. seemed really wasteful, like, environmentally. Just fly mm-hmm. a plane, like, five times a day for hundreds right. of flights. You just know? for your fun. Yeah, just exactly. And I was mm-hmm. just like, this is not for me. You know, like, I don't like it. It's all, like, crammed. And then I don't like the intensity of, like, suddenly, like, go, 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 jump mm-hmm. out of the plane. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, like, I want to chill, you know? Mm-hmm. So I could see the benefit of, or see the appeal of base jumping, where you, like, hike up. You have this beautiful experience in nature. And then, like, at your own pace, you eventually jump off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Like I can kind of see that, yeah. but I don't like having some dude behind me being like, go, 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 right, go. As right. you like fall out of a plane. It's all, all feels like crazy. Yeah. You know? No, I would agree just with like, that for sure. It's just, yeah, it wasn't for me, but I was like, I don't want to devote all my free time to this just so that I can learn how to base jump. And then all my friends died base jumping. And then I was like, well, so you're okay with hiking it. down. Cause that was originally why they were doing it. Right. Cause they didn't want to hike down. Well, kind of. I mean, Part that's of that's sort of how you justify it. I think people were base jumping because it's freaking rad and, the, you know, it's like the biggest rush in the world and they thought it was amazing. And then you justify it by being like, oh. But like, so I did a big link up with uh, with Sean Leary in Yosemite once upon a time. We climbed El Cap three times in a day. And the first right. time he flew off, it was like the middle of the night with the moonrise and it was totally beautiful. So I left him at the top of the Zodiac and he like got into a suit and like flew down. And I like ran down these ledges with like all our gear. And then I got to the car and I was like, where the fuck's Stanley? You know, what the heck? And it turns out like I beat him down because I like ran down in, you know, 45 minutes. And 
it took him a while to get a suit and then he waited for the light and then he like flew and then he packed up his stuff and he came over and I was like, that's not even faster. You know, I mean, it was like, it was physically efficiency model is, yeah. I mean, it it was physically easier for him, I suppose, because he just like flew down, you Mm -hmm. know, but then at the same time, it's probably sort of exhausting too, to like go for it like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but basically I was like something illegal running for the car. Yeah, totally. And yeah, he could have. Well, I mean, he did ultimately die in a wingsuiting accident, so, like, obviously it's dangerous. But he could have been tased by a ranger when he got down, you know? Right. Like, there's a lot of risk associated with it, whereas I was just, like, down in 45 minutes, totally legit, felt fine. Do you feel you like know? people also feel that pressure of, like, having to outdo themselves from the year before, and that's another reason, like, why they've done it or do it? I don't know. I actually thought about that a bunch after Dean died. I thought, uh, this is my own moment of genius. I was thinking of uh, the performance treadmill. You know, like you're on this treadmill trying to achieve things and like send and like mm-hmm. the higher level performance. And like mm-hmm. every time you ratchet it up, the treadmill is just going faster and eventually you fall off the treadmill. I felt like that. Once you know? I hit a 70 foot cliff, I was like, I don't want to jump off a bigger cliff. What am yeah. I going to do? Yeah. You're like, does that mean I'm now retired? Yeah. yeah. You're like, so am I done if I'm not going to? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I haven't actually worried about that with El Cap yet at all. But I mean, it is kind of the same idea where it's like, oh, I sent this huge thing. Yeah, and I'm sure everyone's asking, well, what's next, Alex? Yeah, well, I'm just like, whatever. I'm going to like focus on my foundation and like, you know, go sport climb with my girlfriend and like do normal climbing, you know. But Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not like, the the thing about El Cap is I'm like, there aren't any bigger walls, you know. There's nothing nothing cooler. So I'm just like, that's fine. I'm just like, I'm good. I'm done. Mm -hmm. But I did think about that a lot with Dean, though, because I felt like, um, that's what those guys said when they came back from Mara the first time. Like, dude, I'm never going back. <laughs> Verbatim, multiple yeah. times. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. So, yeah, we'll talk in a few years. We'll see. Yeah. No, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I get stoked on, like, big soloing objectives, uh, you know, in the rest of my life. But, like, I just don't think they'd be the same scale as El Cap because there's just nothing. There's physically nothing like that in the world, you know. Exactly, yeah. But, okay, so know. back to trajectory. Yeah. You're keeping it all on track. Well, I feel like from there, it's actually a very clear, like, it's just a rolling snowball down the hill. You know, it's all just been, like, bigger and bigger things leading to to El Cap, basically. And same with, like, the degree of professionality, or is that even a word? Um, professionalism is a word. <laughs> My de- favorite word that you ever made up was, this is surreally cool. <laughs> <laughs> Though that actually, I mean, that's kind of cool. Surreally. It is. It's yeah. it's great. That's why I said it's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not really made up. It's a real word. It is? Why not? Surreally? I don't yeah. think that's in the dictionary. Surreal? Surreally? Surreally? I, I bet it is. cool. I don't think it is. We'll look it up later. All right. It's to the it. listeners, Google it. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wager that I'm right about that one. I would, uh, yeah, that's something I probably wouldn't step up to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, I actually don't totally know. I'm, I'm kind of bluffing, but, but you know, I, I think don't that's see why an Alexism. Huh. Yeah, so from 2007, 2008, when I got the van, picked up more sponsors, started getting paid more, and then became more and more high profile, you know, like shot 60 minutes in 2011. The National Geographic cover, I think, was also 2011. And then... Can I ask a question about that? Yeah. The cover. Okay, so someone else had shot that the, mm. like, the year before, and then you get the cover for that with a different photographer. Like, what did you think about that? Like, I do not care about that stuff. You don't care? I mean, because the thing is, either way, I basically had done two photo shoots. Like, the photo shoot I'd done on Half Dome the year before, should I, can I use names? I'm like, are you are care. you redacting all the names? It's so, up to like, you. yeah, so, I mean, I'd sold The Root in 2008. In 2009, I did a photo shoot with Tim Campbell when he filmed it for Alone on the Wall, which was, like, a documentary film. And there were good photos, good film. It did really well at Banff and everything. It was great. There were a bunch of, like, North Face photos from from Tim. And then Jimmy shot it with me in 2011 for National Geographic. So I guess that's now three years after I'd actually done the solo. And then that wound up as the cover. 
you know, I like didn't even think about it until years later when Tim posted something being like, look, like I shot that photo first. And you're kind of like, yeah, whatever. But anyone who's ever like hung there has shot the same photo. It's like mm-hmm. a person standing on the ledge, you know, because mm-hmm. like, it's not like you can read it. I think in a Jimmy way. had shot that with Dean previously when Dean had done the solo link up. So it's kind of like Tim had seen Jimmy's images of Dean doing it. Gotcha. And then Jimmy had seen Tim's, you know, just like, who cares? Like anybody, like literally anybody can hike to the top of Half Dome, rappel in 400 feet and shoot that photo. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. not, it's not as if it's like genius. And it's not like skiing where, where we're always trying to ski new lines or different lines, or even if they're the same line, you don't shoot it from the same place. But climbing, when you're on one route, you're going to yeah, see I mean, the, the same yeah, thing. Yeah, the routes are pretty, yeah, the routes conditions. are permanent. So it's just like, I mean, that's just the way it is. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but mostly I don't really care about that stuff. Like to me, I will reshoot the same thing with a different person over and over. Like if they feel like they're getting something different. And, and I mean, to me, it's like a day at work is a day at work. Like sure. if somebody wants me to wrap in and like shoot something, I'm like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really stress about like, you know, whose creative vision was more, more original or whatever. I'm like, that's you know, not of your concern. Yeah. It's sure. like, that's. Yeah. And I mean, so I've spent the last year, like in a year and a half making a documentary with Jimmy mm-hmm. and like, you know, shooting all this stuff in the Valley. And I have given zero concern about how the foot, you know, like, so you're not creative uh, about it. You're just leaving that up to them. No, totally. Like you're they're making a movie about me. I'm just doing what, well, basically mostly I'm just doing whatever I want to do. Cause it's a documentary, mm-hmm. but then, you know, if they need a certain shot or they want me to like bike around the meadow again, so we can like capture the fall colors or something. I'm like, that's, you yeah. know, I'm never questioning like, well, are you sure that shot's worth it? Or is that the right angle? I'm like, well, I mean, they're the freaking artists. Like I'll just, you know, but as far as story goes, is there a certain story that you want the world to know? No, don't care. That you're leaving that up to them. What the story is. Yeah. Which, you know, every once in a while I'm like, Oh, I hope it's not terrible, you know? But at the same time, I'm like, every time I'm filming, I'm, I'm the exact same. Like anytime I do an interview, I'm the same. I'm always just like pretty level. Yeah. So I'm sort of like, if they're even remotely ethical about how they make a film, then it's like going to capture me. And so I'm like, that's fine. Like I don't censor myself very much and I don't like, would you say there's a message that, that you're, you want people to know? No, or like, or no, that you're trying no, to really act. Care. I mean, hopefully if somebody sees enough of my life, they'll pull their own message from it, you know, like see the way that I live and maybe find that helpful for the way they want to live or whatever. I mean, I don't, but it's not really my place to like push a message on people, you know? Well, hopefully. speaking of that, like you said, you, your focus and I feel like mine too has gone way more political. How does it feel to, to have a kind of voice in that realm now? And people look up to you for those sorts of you know, messaging around global warming and how we should live. And yeah, I mean, I try not to push too much on how we should live. I try to push more on like, make sure that you're thinking about your life and the impacts of your life and like make good decisions. You know what I mean? Because I feel like anybody given the same sort of information that I know or the same education that I have, other people would make the same decisions. I'd like to think like climate change, I've read quite a bit about it. I read about the environment quite a bit. And like, and that sort of led me to, to care about those issues in certain ways and like try to act in certain ways. And I'd like to hope that anybody else who learned as much would feel the same way about have, it. So. Have you changed your life at all around since learning that well, stuff? Well, so I'm like mostly vegan. You know, that's kind of like the easiest personal lifestyle change you can make to like minimize mm-hmm. your impact on the world. I, I'm actually, I'm like a strong vegetarian who like doesn't like dairy. You know what I mean? But basically like... Were you like that though before? No. Is that, really? No, I like frame all my dietary choices in terms of environmental impact for wow. sure. But then I'm also like giving a third of my income to my foundation, which has been doing like sustainable development projects, like supporting solar projects and Very things cool. like that. So that's what's the foundation called? Um, just the Honnold Foundation. Awesome. That's, which I felt vaguely douchey about, but it just makes sense. Yeah, it works. Um, There's name recognition you know, you there. Know. 
Yeah, it's not quite the Gates Foundation, but you know, it's uh, it's it's aspirational. <laughs> I'm trying my best. I mean, yeah. So actually, I mean, I guess four or five years ago, I was like, okay, this is the year that I need to get serious about environmental impact and like getting my ducks in a row, you know. And so my plan was basically to go vegetarian, to start offsetting my travel, and to support the foundation. And so I started the foundation and I went vegetarian. And then the more I looked into offsetting travel and like carbon offsets, the more I realized that it was like not quite what I hoped for. And so I instead just put that money into the foundation, which is supporting the types of projects that carbon offsets support anyway. Like what? Well, so the two things that I'm probably most proud of have been solar projects in Africa, which is basically like development, you know, I'm getting people off of kerosene lanterns and like into LED type of lanterns, like basically going solar. Love it. Um, and then doing sort of the same idea in the developed world. So like I've been s- supporting this group Grid Alternatives, which is like a national nonprofit that puts solar on like low income housing type stuff. So it helps people with energy bills, but more importantly, it decarbonizes the grid basically. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and was that because of everything you've read? You've read as yeah, to why for sure, you attacked for those sure. Two? I mean, part of it was travel, like seeing the world and sort of like realizing. This is where you could have the most impact. Yeah, I mean, witnessing the fact that there are a billion people living in abject poverty in the rest of the world. Right, and you know, and you're just like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, well, or kerosene. I mean, so like in East Africa, people can spend up to like a third of their income to purchase kerosene just to light their home. I mean, can you imagine spending a third of your income to light your home? It's like completely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And you know, burning kerosene in confined space is horrific for health. Um, Respiratory disease, cancer, like all you know, I mean, just headaches. Like it's terrible to be burning kerosene inside a hut. And particularly when you're like basically burning your money. So, I mean, being able to, to get a little solar lantern or a small panel with a little battery with an LED bulb and being able to charge your phone. I mean, those sorts of systems are like life changing for, for people in like rural Africa. Mm-hmm. So yeah, being able to support and those. And on a bigger of, scale for the. Planet. Yeah, exactly. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, I've just been trying to support projects like that. Very cool. Uh, what else yeah. can you teach us about, you know, how to shift and. <laughs> Uh, not even necessarily personally, but I love I love this broader perspective of. Well, policy wise, I mean, voting, you know, like knowing who your representatives are and like pushing them on issues and then, you know, voting for the right people to represent you in, in Washington. And then, you know, supporting the right brands and all that type of stuff. But I, I kind of don't love that whole track to like changing the world, because really, if you're trying to make the world the best place possible, you should just not buy stuff. You know, what I mean, like the fewer things that are made, the better off the world is. But then when you do need to buy something, do it from the right people, you know, people who are like in line with your values and like also trying to protect the world in whatever way they can. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No. Okay. So back to life trajectory. Yeah. What, what would you call the big first solo and what did you learn that helped you, you know, get to this, this? Oh, okay. I think if I broke down my solos, I would say Rostrum and Astroman were sort of the first things that got me noticed, like on the map. That's when I first started picking up sponsors and things. And then the next year I sold Moonlight Buttress and Half Dome, which was sort of the first like big, like, and at Rostrum and Astroman was sort of the extent of what like Peter Croft and the previous generation had sold. Mm-hmm. And so then when I stepped past that, then it was all sort of into new terrain. So like Moonlight and Half Dome were sort of like, holy shit, this is like a whole new world of soloing. And then I guess from there it's been... It's been nine years. That's crazy. And then El Cap is sort of like the next big one. But I've done tons of, I've done something like 25, like sort of hard medium solos in between those things. What makes them hard medium? The moves or the time or? um, Yeah, a little bit of everything. Some are like more exposed, some are bigger, some are more difficult. You know, like they all had little elements that like made them different in some way. And I've probably done something like, yeah, 20 to 25 challenging routes like that in between, but none of them are quite like groundbreaking in the same way. And then that eventually leads to El Cap, which I think is like definitely a step forward again. Mm-hmm. 
there's okay there's three questions but I remember this time in my head it's that time when you were on that that ledge and you had a moment of being gripped and freaked out was there a strategy that you felt that got you back into the flow once you had fallen out of it yeah I mean I don't know it's tough like that's tough too because the filmmaking it, it took place later than the actual solo. So, yeah, I understand. So my interview about the being gripped was like on a different part of the wall and it's sort of a different experience. But I mean, in general, when you get when I get super gripped, I mean, there isn't a whole lot to do other than just like take some deep breaths and try to pull it back together. You know? And did that happen um, on this? Yeah, one? yeah, certainly on Half Dome. I basically was just like, well, I just need to commit and just like made this move and stepped up, you know. But then this year when I sold it, El Cap. I sort of intentionally prepared quite a bit more so that I wouldn't have any moments like that to make sure that I didn't have to like overcome a massive amount of fear or like deal with anything. I could just like go up there and have a good time. But I guess for people who might be listening, you know, like were there any techniques that somebody else could, could use when they're, you know, they're about to go speak in public or they're about to go, you know, step up to something. Was there anything that you feel like you've practiced enough that where, Actually, so I, I've never really practiced those techniques of, you know, self mental self-rescue, like pulling yourself back together. Well, you just I had think, to at that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. I've just had to so many times, I guess, that, like, it's just sort of naturally practiced. So I think that's um, your that's your message right there is, like, well, put yeah, yourself you, into situations yeah, where exactly. you have to. Yeah, exactly. You just, you just have to practice. You just have to do it over and over. I mean, same with public speaking. You say, like, when people are scared of public speaking, it's like you just have to do it enough that it's not scary anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to be gripped, like, yeah. before I went on to give, like, a slide show, you know, like a yeah. casual slideshow at a climbing gym where you're oh, talking yeah. to 60 people, I'd be like, oh my God, it's so scary. And now I'm like totally improv. Did you see the industry breakfast thing here? Yeah. It was so bad. I gave like the worst talk of my life in front of like a thousand people with zero preparation. It was really, really bad. We should have like put more bad. effort into it. But you just basically had to follow just, like, some amazing speakers. We, yeah. Well, I had to follow a couple amazing speakers who were really well prepared. And then we showed up with absolutely nothing. And it's like, you know, I mean, a lot of people have nightmares about that type of thing, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, and then I showed up naked for my final exam. Oh, statistically, and I hadn't studied, people are way more you know? afraid of that. Than yeah. It's like, I mean, that's like total nightmare scenario where it's like everyone in your entire industry is sitting in a room and then you show up and like make a total fool of yourself. But apparently people liked it though. I got a lot of compliments. No, from people, people the loved show. it. They were like, it's so entertaining. And I was like, are you kidding? It was so bad. But like, that's whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, just practice. Like everything in life is just practicing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you don't even remember like what got you at that or at the multiple times where you may have been grabbed. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing with Half Dome is that it w- it's not like anything helped me. I mean, there was nothing else for me to do. Like, I couldn't really down climb. You had I, to I knew that it. I had to trust this one foothold. I was afraid to, and I didn't want to. But ultimately, I was just like, well, I have to. So I just gave it the 100%. I mm-hmm. stepped on it. I did the move, and it was totally fine. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was all, like, built up in my mind. It's like, I don't want to use it. I don't want to use it. You know, I don't want to step on that foothold. Yeah. But then, when you know, I, I had to, so I did. Mm-hmm. But. Cool. I mean, I, I think that's kind of one of the things is putting yourself into situations when you have to do do things, you know, mm-hmm. like forces you to grow in a way or forces you to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In situations where I feel like I've been in a somewhat of a similar situation where it's like you can't go back up. The only way is through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and you can see the consequences. Basically, in this situation, I'm thinking about like if I didn't make I, I got halfway down a line and it was really shitty snow. And, um, and so I stopped and getting back up was not an option. And I recognized that I had to make this really sketchy move one, you know, the positioning I was going to have to be in 
I didn't like the potential consequences. Like, mm. and basically if I didn't make it, I was going to get really hurt. That's like exactly the same thing. Cause you can sit there looking at the move for a minute being like, I don't want to, mm-hmm. and I don't like it, mm-hmm. but then ultimately you're like, well, I have to. And so then you just do it. And yeah. You just give it that 100%. So basically you go through all the, all the, in my situation, and I'm just wondering if it's similar to yours. Like I go through all the things that could go wrong and you, and you know very well what the consequences could be. Mm. And so then you get to the point where like, well, I can't give, like I cannot give any, any of my attention to those potential Mm. consequences. It's do it period. It's kind of like going through the stages of grief or whatever, you know, like denial and then ultimately acceptance and all that, you know, you get into a situation, you're like, I don't want to be here. Like, fuck this. I hate this. Like, I Mm -hmm. I don't like this. This is bad. And then eventually you're just like, well, this is the way it is. And this is what I have to do. And then Mm. eventually you just like do it with a hundred percent commitment. And and then it works out. Interesting. I haven't, I I, never thought of it that way. No, I haven't thought of it. Like, whenever I get deeply scared in climbing, I'm always like, why am I here? I hate climbing. You're yeah. like, oh man, like this sucks. I didn't, I didn't sign up to like think I'm about to die today. Like uh-huh. this sucks. And you then you're just like and- deep breaths. And then you're just like, this is the foot. I have to trust the foot. And then mm-hmm. you just eventually do. And then afterward you're like, oh, I'm so happy I didn't die. Like, yeah, you know, I yeah. don't know, but it is like the full range of human emotion. For yeah. Sure. I just remember but, being like, I cannot, there's no energy to be put towards the what ifs. It's a hundred percent has to be to making the move period. Yeah, totally. And it gets very, very simplified and just like do it done. Boom. Yeah. It's so it. rare to be in those situations where you're like, and now it all rides on this, mm-hmm. you know, like this is the moment. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of glorious too. And your whole life leads to like certain moments where you're like, this is my moment. Well, and you it know? shows you how focused yeah. you can be and how, when you choose success, it really is the only option. Otherwise. Yeah. yeah. If you're willing to let yourself think about dying, there's a good chance that you're going to let yourself. Yeah, totally. um, okay. So anyways, t- just, I, I think people would love to hear like what it's like to, to do what you just did, like to walk us through it. I mean, just go up there and climb El Cap. Oh, whatever. Like I so don't know. Awesome. Just do it. No, I mean, just do it. It's so easy. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I mean, I freaking put like a year of effort into it and preparation and training and visualizing. And I mean, I just spent so much time thinking about it. So then when I finally did it, it didn't, you know, it didn't feel that crazy. So the first thing you, your steps were like, you go, you put ropes up and you, you, you climb it a couple times with ropes or. Well, something. I climbed it with partners a bunch of times, like bottom to top. I'd climb sections of it and then rappel back down. Sometimes I'd hike to the summit and rappel in and then climb back out. Um, I did like all kinds of combinations depending on what I was trying to work on. on a, mm-hmm. at a It sounds time. like to me like a dancer, like learning a choreography. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it kind of is like basically I had like a map of the wall with tons of question marks on it. And I just had to like go up there and work through all the different question marks. Mm-hmm. And Figuring out like a yeah, math problem. Yeah, totally. And then once, once I sort of checked it all off the list, then, then it was time to just do it. Mm-hmm. But, and what was that day like? Like, will that be burned in your memory forever? Like, I mean, kind of, it's funny. I'm already losing details. You know, people are like, well, what did it feel like? I'm like, I don't know. I just walked to the base of El Cap. Cause I mean, I've walked to the base of El Cap like a hundred times, you know, and were you waiting like, for weather windows or are they no, always, no, it's perfect? funny. Actually the day I did, it wasn't really that great of weather. It was uh, sort of, it'd been overcast. So the low temperatures weren't that low and it was kind of like dank and humid and um, felt kind of hot, but I just, you know, I just like did it. But. Okay. Just a few more. Yeah. Girls, I think a lot of people who are listening are, are women and girls looking to how do they be the best version of themselves. It sounds like you've got an awesome girlfriend right now. Like what makes her so awesome? And, and I your mean, mom too. Like what have you learned from women? What, what, kind, what do you look for? I don't know if I've learned that much about women from my mother, but uh, my girlfriend though is awesome. And I think what makes her awesome is that she's, well, she's like an amazing communicator. She's really good about saying like, this is what I need. This is what I want. You know, this is 
this is how I feel and why I feel that way. And so like, it's, we never really argue in a way because like she might be upset about something. She'll just say like, I'm upset about this and this is what you need to do to make it better. Or if it's totally unreasonable, then like an hour later, she'll be like, I realized that was unreasonable. And you know, like, I'm sorry, I got upset with you. And it's all like very clear and very open. I'm just Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's so refreshing to like have everything. So like openly communicated and it's made me way better about communication too, because you don't um, just hold something in and then you have yeah, to ask I mean, a thousand times just, what's wrong, what's wrong. Yeah, well, it's nothing. all a lot more obvious. You know, she's just mm-hmm. like, she's like, I need you to apologize for that because that made wow. me upset. And I'm like, well, I don't want to apologize for that because I think it's your fault, you know, but at least it's all very You're, open. There's like, a dialogue. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then eventually, you know, one of us will be like, okay, I was wrong and I apologize for that or wh- whatever, you know. That's cool. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's I think working like, through conflict is the major part of healthy relationship because you're going to yeah. have it. Yeah, well, or if you if you communicate well enough, you're not even going to have that much conflict necessarily because like both people are on the same team and sort of like have the same goals and. But if, uh, I mean, you're going to hurt people's feelings or vice yeah, versa yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and just the little things like yesterday, I like dropped her at the gym too far. She like fell lead climbing and went like 25 feet. It was kind of like, well, I didn't need to fall that far. And I was like, well, I'm freaking socializing with like freaking Cedar <laughs> next to me, and like I had a little slack. I like whatever, you know, like I don't really. I'm like, it's gym climbing. Who cares? But she's like. I just need an apology for like, you know, being dropped. And I'm kind of like, well, I don't want to apologize for like normal. Didn't you get injured too for getting dropped? Yeah, but that was getting lowered off the end of the rope. That's like a different scale. Okay. Like like falling in the gym is like whatever. I mean, gyms are built to be safe. So it's like totally true. No, I understand. But Um, it brings up a, I mean, is that a story worth telling or not really? No, I mean, it's just one of those unfortunate things. Like, okay. Last one. If you weren't a climber, what would you be? If I wasn't a climber, I'd probably be an engineer, I guess. I'd be all boring. What would you engineer? Um, I really like systems type stuff. Like, I mean, I could see being a traffic engineer. I love the like smooth flow of a system. Mm-hmm. I think that was speed climbing all the time. Like what mm-hmm. is the most efficient way to like move through it? What is the quickest way to make things done? Like I love maximizing efficiency and mm-hmm. I like lines, you know, like moving things smoothly through. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I like traffic in some ways. Interesting. <laughs> Cause there's always like a better way to make a system work. Yeah. You know? I think um, we need, the world needs way more of those if we're going to fix these environmental totally, problems. Totally. I, th- I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's just interesting. But. Oh, I'd love to see how you could fix a city. Um, last question. What advice would you give to a younger version of yourself at a time when you really needed it? I don't know. I think I'm totally happy with the way I've gone through life. I mean, I would tell a younger version of me just to, you know, do what you're doing. Enjoy the ride. Like, don't take it too seriously. You know, don't be all angstful and dark because, like, adult life is going to be fine, you know. I think I would tell any young child that, you know, adult life is just like, I mean, it's totally, everybody has the same hopes and dreams and the same fears. And like, even though you feel so uniquely angstful when you're young, it's like the reality is everybody's thinking that. And by the time you're an adult, everyone's doing the same stuff. So, I mean, may as well just enjoy the ride. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. That was Alex. That was really fun. Truly showing up. And as we all know, that's half the battle of living a truly inspired life. I'm Lindsay Dyer, and this has been Showing Up. I hope the show inspired you today somehow to show up for something that you truly believe in. Until then, see you in the mountains, unicorns.